Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing for Tuesday, August the 9th. I'm your host, Victor Manash. On today's show, we're talking about the new Inflation Reduction Act just passed by the U.S. Senate and sent to the Congress for a vote. Anytime a piece of legislation comprising nearly half a trillion dollars of new spending is tabled, I think it's worth spending at least five minutes on a podcast to analyze it. The first thing you notice when you read the 755-page document is that it has almost nothing to do with fighting inflation. In fact, out of the 755 pages, the word inflation only appears 35 times in the entire document. Most of those references are with respect to a provision that's designed to provide patients a rebate for certain prescription medications that increase in price faster than the rate of inflation as defined by the Consumer Price Index. As part of this provision, Medicare would also have the power to negotiate prices for some prescription medications. So let's examine the inflation-fighting impact of this provision. Now, prescription medications make up about 15% of the weighting of the healthcare component of the Consumer Price Index, and about 50% of prescription medications had increases above the rate of inflation last year. Healthcare makes up about 10% of the Consumer Price Index, and Medicare spends $380 billion in prescription drugs each year. That's a huge amount of money. So let's do the math and estimate the impact of this provision on reducing inflation. When you add all of this together, the impact can be no more than three-quarters of 1% of the weighting of the Consumer Price Index. By definition, the way the legislation is worded, it only prevents prescription drug prices from increasing faster than the average rate of inflation by forcing a rebate. The impact is limited because only a small basket of medicines that have been on the market for many years and lack competition will be eligible for direct negotiation. When you look at the price of prescription medications in the U.S. compared with other developed countries, there's no question that drug prices are higher in the U.S. than other developed nations. If we were seeing a better life expectancy or better health outcomes in the U.S., then those higher drug prices might be justified. But the truth is, these exact same medications are available elsewhere in the world at a fraction of the cost. In my opinion, it's time the government stepped in and curtailed some of the abuses of the drug industry. The majority of the bill consists of incentives designed to facilitate the transition to cleaner energy. For example, there's a provision to provide a rebate for biofuels that are added to aviation fuel. Only the proportion of the fuel that is not kerosene is eligible for the rebate. The majority of the legislation reads as an amendment to existing legislation whereby the dates of certain energy rebate programs are extended from January 1st of 2022, which is now behind us, to January 1st of 2025. So we're really only talking about a two and a half year extension to many of these provisions. There's a new provision to get a tax credit for the production of hydrogen, as long as you don't create other greenhouse gases in the process of creating the hydrogen. So for example, if you were to generate electricity using solar or wind power to break a water molecule apart into its constituent hydrogen and oxygen elements, it would qualify for the tax credit. There's a provision, part of the original legislation, which was ultimately removed through Senate negotiation. That provision dealt with carried interest, and the notion of carried interest is fundamental to most fund managers and entrepreneurs. It's also important to real estate investors. The initial proposal was to tax carried interest as business income instead of the current treatment of capital gains. That concession is of particular interest to us real estate investors. Now, there's always a chance that the bill gets modified by the Congress and gets sent back to the Senate for a vote, but I think it's unlikely. The Democrats have had very little legislative success, and they desperately need something to point to as a legislative success for the upcoming midterm election. 
a big part of the bill is an increase in revenues through several sources. There's a new alternative minimum tax on corporations and large corporations having revenues of a billion dollars. There's a substantial increase, new IRS auditors being hired under the new bill. Now, the folks at the Wharton School of Business did an analysis of the bill from the perspective of its effect on fighting inflation, as the bill's namesake would imply. Shockingly, the Wharton analysis suggests a modest increase of 0.05% of the rate of inflation as a result of this bill in the first few years of implementation, followed by a quarter percent decrease in inflation by the end of the decade. They also went on to say that the effect is too small to be distinguished from zero. If the goal of this legislation was to fight inflation, well, then they missed the mark. They also missed some pretty big opportunities. If you want to reduce inflation, it might be a good idea to choose variables that have a broad impact on price stability, and they didn't do that. I think there's some elements of this bill that I like to see and others that I don't. Now, while reading legislation makes for some pretty boring reading, I find it instructive to read the original text of the legislation to see what our lawmakers are actually doing behind closed doors. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.